I kind of want to say, hi. (laughs) It's a new time. (laughs) I wonder what you noticed when you sat down and just (laughs) felt that energy. The energy really comes up. It's really uh, to start interacting and, and talking, the talking, yeah, and being around talking. (laughs) even if you don't want to be talking, just to be around the talking and all that, the whole collective energy that just, whew, just really comes up. And so when you sit down and then still come into the stillness of the posture, it's just, whew, it's all there. And you can see, too, how the mind just starts racing. I mean, um, and and it's, it's also... The contrast, I mean, you're noticing it more because you do have so much awareness now and you have been so quiet and you have been so still. So that aware, with the awareness so strong, you sit down and you go, whoa, <laughs> wow, look at this. You know, you really can see the, how the mind is moving and the emotions are moving and the body energy is moving. So you're just very aware now. But that's going on all the time. <laughs> that's, that's how you are when you live your life. So we're just really more in contact with it right now. So it's good, you see, it's good to, to, to stop, just to stop and take that breath and reconnect and ground again. And, you know, you can feel, you can feel how the settledness starts to come in. And we can give that to ourselves, you know, as we, we get involved in the momentum of our lives. And, and some of us, you know, really busy. Some of us, not everybody in the room, but some of us really have a lot that we're engaged with. And so all that input, all that data is coming in all through the day. And we live in a culture where that data, <laughs> that information, is exponentially greater than it was even 10 years ago or 15 years ago. You know, before, even, you know, before, before the, if some of you, some of you in here probably were around before computers. <laughs> Maybe not everybody. <laughs> and, and smartphones and digital, digital media. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's really a different world. It's a different culture. And, and that, all that information, information age, and all that information is coming in and making an impression through the mind, through the senses, and we are p- processing that. We're, we're these processors. <laughs> we're the processors. <laughs> and, and so a lot lot goes on. So, you know, to take the time to just stop, you know, the old adage, stop and smell the roses, you know, it, there's something to it. So that we can let all that move in us and have an impact on us and actually begin to bring it to some kind of understanding rather than just input, input, input. But that we begin to reflect and contemplate and make some room for what, what, what's called the creative expression, being creative with all of that, not just the habitual kind of automatic mach- being, being like a machine that we're just taking it in, taking it in, taking it in, but to be really creative, to be that creative dynamism that we've been speaking about, to be an, an expression of the Dharma, really takes the connection to the stillness, the deep the deep connection to the stillness. The stillness that's always here. It's always here. But we, if the mind is busy and rushing, we won't, we'll miss it. We'll miss the stillness. And I think that's why we gravitate to nature. We gravitate to gardens. We gravitate to that, that natural world, to animals because they are the expression of that stillness. That's the nature, that nature reflecting, mirroring back to us our own inner nature that we lose contact with. So we go into that beautiful natural order and it kind of 
refigures us, reconfigures us, we kind of find ourselves again, you know, kind of chink, 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 chink. Sometimes it, I actually have that experience of kind of like chink, chink, all the parts kind of, you know, going back into alignment again <laughs> when I'm in an environment that is really supportive of that re- realignment, that reconnection with my nature, with my, the truth of who I am. So this stopping, you know, the stopping, whether it's the stopping of our daily practice where we, we stop every, the momentum, that's what we're doing. We're stopping the momentum and we sit in the posture of stillness. So the posture is the form that allows us to, the mind and the body, which is really energetic, it allows it to start to find that balance, to find that harmony, to find that allow, uh, alignment within ourselves, and then recognize it, be in, in contact, be in access, access to that. So the form is very, very important. Getting into the form, getting into the posture, and the posture becomes like a symbol or helps us remember, you know? And so just say, just if you could get into the form every day, and hopefully you can get into the form for maybe 20 minutes at least. It seems like if 20 minutes is what is needed to sort of allow that settledness. We, we sat for 15 minutes just now. And I think you probably could notice just the, shh, the calming. You also have some momentum of mindfulness and concentration, so it'll come a little more quickly. Um, but you can see how that settledness just starts to happen as you stay in the stillness, still posture. So 20 minutes is really good to allow the possibility of some uh, uh, settling happening. It doesn't necessarily mean it will, (laughs) but your job is to really just stay there. Just stay there, even if the impulses are wanting to go, no, i got to go go do the laundry, because if I don't do my laundry, then you know, I'm not going to have that blouse or that shirt I needed to wear, you know, and then I won't have time to iron it. And, you know, but i got to make that phone call, because i got to set up this appointment. And, but if I just sit here, I'm just wasting this valuable time. <laughs> you know what the mind does, right? And so you just sit anyhow. It's just mental chatter, you know. It's really making that commitment that I'm going to sit here no matter what. And sometimes we say it's like punching, you know, the old days, you know, when you got, even when I started working out of college, you know, we had to punch a time clock. I worked at Hallmark Cards in Kansas City, and you had to punch in and then punch out. And so it's the same with the sitting meditation. You punch in, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, and then you punch out. And whatever happens in between happens. It's, that's not your, that's not up to you. Your job is just to stay there and as still as you can in the body because the, that, that energy, you can see the energy just wants to move out, you know, that restlessness. It just, you just want to get up, <laughs> You want to get up and do something. It's like, i got to do something. This isn't doing anything. I'm doing nothing. <laughs> right? So, so this is doing something. You know, we're doing our practice. We're, 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 we're cultivating and we're making what's most important for us important. So, so if you can find that 20 minutes, if you can find longer, if you can find half hour, if you can do 45 minutes, if you can do two 20 minutes a day, um, whatever your program allows you time for. But what we what like to say is, um, even if you haven't had time to do a, a sitting practice that day, still get into the form, like just before you go to bed. Just sit in your bed, in your posture, for two minutes, you know, for a minute. Just to take one breath and connect. That, that connecting, even for a minute, is very powerful. And then you'll see what happens, how that starts to reorient or reconfigure your, 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 uh, yourself just in that instant, in that moment. So powerful. Or... Sitting in the car, or I, I, these days I see, you know, at the mall, you know, I'll just see workers just um, 
going to a bench. They just sit and meditate for five or ten minutes, eyes closed, just very still. You know, finding, finding the place that you can just stop wherever it is. Um, sometimes even just standing is a good place to practice is standing in the grocery line. You know, when it's like, why is this line so long? You know, I got in the wrong line again. How many people? <laughs> yeah, <how> many? <laughs> I can tell by the response that it's... <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just such a habit. You know, got to get through, got to get through. It's a wonderful place to practice. Just stop and breathe and say, okay, this is my opportunity. You just slow down here. And even, you can add even a little bit more, you can start to do loving kindness for the people around you. Just start wishing them well. Just kind of looking at them and hoping they're having a good day and wondering if they're suffering. And, you know, just kind of, you know, if, they're, if you feel like they're agitated or they've got little kids and they're upset, it's like sending a lot of compassion to them, you know, just holding them in the loving light. And, you know, do your practice, right? And it's just, again, it's the inclining the mind turning the mind away from the habits of uh, impatience and irritation and anxiety and wanting and desire and all the, 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 the clinging, the clinging, the attaching. And so those moments when we catch it, we just catch ourselves, you know, at any point, at any point, that's the wonderful thing about the mindfulness, is that we always have another opportunity to stop, right? To slow down, to pay attention. So that's the beautiful thing about the Dharma, is that we're always offered another moment. We have another moment. Not always. There may be a moment when we don't have that offering, but we don't know. Maybe there's still another moment, you know? <laughs> there, nobody has really come back from the dead that we know and said, yeah, you have another moment. But we don't know. Maybe. I mean, I actually happen to think that I can't imagine the consciousness stops when the body drops away. I just can't. It just doesn't make sense to me. It just isn't possible. This dynamic consciousness takes form and then take, and it's formless. It's, uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need form for its aliveness. You can see that. You can witness that. So it seems that we are always offered another moment. What, how, how, how much benevolence is there in that? How much compassion is there in that? That we're always offered another opportunity to pay attention and look and see if our heart is moving in love and compassion or whether it's moving in anger and attachment. Just so benevolent, kind for our healing, for our transformation, for our liberation. So we take advantage of that. If we have some understanding, if we have some perspective, we go, oh yeah, this is another moment. I can actually stop this track that I'm on that is leading me and this person I'm with and my family <laughs> to the brink of destruction and to see maybe, maybe I can actually stop this, this break this. And the thing is, is the awareness. It's only the living an awakened life. Living an awakened life means that we're living a life with awareness. That we're not just these habituated, automated machines that are just, you know, robots that we're stuck in these conditioned habits. We, we have this awake consciousness. Everyone has an awake consciousness. And so as we understand that awareness and the tool of mindfulness, this tool uh, that's sometimes called, we start to wake that up and we go, oh yeah, I can direct this mindfulness. I can direct this awareness towards that which is going to bring about more harmony, more health, more safety, more ease. I can bring that about as I start to direct my awareness in that way. So with awareness, every moment of awareness arises the choice. Every moment arises a choice. If we're not aware, there's no choice. 
And maybe you, this is one of the insights that you have when you come to a retreat and you see how lost, how lost you get. It's like, you know, you could be lost for like 10 minutes if that's moderate. You know, 10 minutes we can be lost for a half hour and then all of a sudden we wake up. I go, whoa, where was I? I was gone. And that act can happen anywhere. I mean, have you caught that, caught yourself driving? <laughs> Where it's like, I got to pay attention here. <laughs> you know, and sometimes I think about that. I think, you know, I hope people are awake in their cars, you know. But it seems to work out somehow. I don't know. I, <laughs> I mean, if you've been in, in India or any of the Asian countries, you know, there's like no, no rules on the road, you know, and people are just kind of finding their way. You know, maybe they need to pay more attention doing that. I don't know. But maybe this linear kind of society that we have, we can go to sleep a little bit more. <laughs> but, you know, this, this awareness is the key for transformation. Awareness is what makes our life an awakened life because it means we have choice. It's all about the choice. That's the wisdom, the wise choice. And if there's wisdom coming through in that choice, then that wisdom, the prajna, which is the the higher understanding, the greater understanding, is going to make choices for the greater good. It's going to make choices for love. It's going that that movement is going to be choosing love, compassion. Kindness, connection, generosity, truthfulness, morality, patience. That's, that's what moves through. It's not like we have to keep remembering that and, and making effort for that. When we empower the faculties of consciousness that I was speaking about last night, the five spiritual faculties, we become that empowered consciousness that is a vehicle for wisdom and love. We are that. We, we start to manifest and express that energy, that, those qualities, those enlightened qualities in our life. That's when we start to wake up, we become more of a like Buddha-like, more of a goddess or god-like. You know, that's, we become our nature. It's, you've heard the word bodhisattva, you know, we, as a human being, as a being on this earth, we become a bodhisattva. Bodhi means awake. Uh, sattva being, an awake being. We wake up on the earth as a human being. And our, our, our actions, our speech and our actions become uh, uh, expressed for, for the greater good of this, of this planet. And maybe... You know, maybe those actions will move towards service, but I want to say that maybe those actions won't move towards service. You know, because sometimes we can have the idea, well, if I was really an enlightened being, you know, I'd be saving the world, right? (laughs) Which is just another idea. You know, that enlightened energy or that enlightened expression can manifest in any way, in any form. But it comes, it, it moves uniquely through you, through your being, through how you are uh, configured in this world. And so there's no right or wrong or should or ideal image about how I would be or what I would look or how I would express myself if I was more awake. That awake energy expresses itself in, in a perfect way that is aligned with the Dharma, aligned with the nature, aligned with you, your journey, with your life. So it could be any way. You might become a kind of more creative in your life. Uh, that, that energy may move through some creative expression of dance or music or art or writing. Or It can move to silence, more meditation. You know, there's enlightened people who live in caves who don't want to talk to anybody. You know, that's their dharma. You know, just leave me alone. <laughs> Pacheka Buddhas, Pacheka Buddhas are silent. It's just they just retreat, and that they're that that's the energy that that's moving through, you know. Or many many expressions of that awake energy becoming um, a, a caretaker, or you know really caretaking a family or a group of people, just expressing that love 
that wisdom in any way. One teacher, uh, Zen teacher, uh, Sonsanim, I think it was, who came over from Japan, um, uh, didn't he? I, I can't. I don't remember the circumstances uh, why he came over, but he didn't have a community or didn't really know what to do, and got a job at a laundromat. But he was a Zen master, <laughs> but nobody knew him, so he was just working at this laundromat, and all of a sudden, you know, people started gravitating towards him. It's like, whoa, who are you? <laughs> and then things just started happening around him, and he became, you know, one of the great Zen masters in the, this country. So, you know, it's just the it's the energy, right? It's just that. It's that awake energy that's moving through us. So we're talking, you know, this inclination of mind. You know, we're not trying to get rid of ourself. And sometimes in Buddhism, you know, we have this concept of anatta, which is sometimes translated as no self. And that gets really complicated. You know, it's like, no self? Am I trying to get rid of myself and you know, be invisible? Or, you know, you know, what is that? But the actual trans- translation is not self. And it means I'm not taking anything in particular to be myself. I'm not constructing myself as something solid or fixed. But I'm fluid. I'm changing. I'm transparent. I'm dynamic. I have many, many ways that I express myself. So it's not a solid self, it's a, it's a fluid, expressive self. So we're not trying to get rid of that self. We might say that we're reconfiguring ourselves, or we're transforming ourselves, we're purifying ourselves. And when we purify, we're purifying uh, ourselves of those, those, what's called the defilements of mind, the, the, the clinging of the, the greed and the hatred and the confusion we're purifying those forces that want to drive and overcome the awake consciousness. So, so all of our, our practice, our practice is to, to incline or to turn towards that, those conditions which are going to support that awakening, that are going to support that brightening. And so this happens in very practical ways. We, we not only work in our, in, internally with our mind and our energy and our body and emotions and all of what's happening inside in an inclining towards those uh, uh, states of mind that are going to be more uplifting, but we, through kindness and, and love and, and uh, uh, compassion towards ourselves and you know, awareness and mindfulness and all those tools we've been, been practicing here, but we also then do that, we do the same thing outside, externally, where we start moving towards or inclining towards conditions that are going to be more supportive for our awakening. So that means that we start to gravitate, if, we, if there's wisdom, towards like work or livelihood that is really going to be more supportive. This is one of the factors on the Eightfold Path, which is wise livelihood which is livelihood that isn't causing harm to ourselves or to other people, um, that is an ethical uh, livelihood that doesn't involve the killing or, or stealing or sexual harm or drugs or intoxicants, you know, really, really ca- doing work that's going to improve ourselves and the planet. So that, that's where the wisdom starts to move into the livelihood. Or people... Our friends, you know, the, the people we surround ourselves with. We want to be with people who are really going to be supportive if we can. You know, choosing our friends, choosing our communities, choosing Sangha community of people, um, like-minded people, who understand our path, who understand our journey, people we can talk to, people we can associate with, who we feel good around who uplift us, who help, who help keep our mind bright rather than bring us down, who, who pull us down. And then as we, and going to, and having places at home, you know, that are 
that are uplifting, having a, maybe a place, a sacred place at home where you, you go to for your meditation and your reflection, which, which then as, each time you go there becomes a symbol, becomes a, a place where as soon as you enter, you feel the connection and the sacredness of that place. And, and not all of you can do that, depending on your, your situation and where, where you are. But finding, if you can, having some place where there's some sacred objects or photos or, or uh, crystals or... I mean, all these, all these emanate energy, uplifting energy. Um, photos or, or uh, paintings, you know, a lot of the Tibetan paintings, the tankas of the different gods and goddesses or you know anything anything that's going to evoke that that memory there's a Naomi Shihab Nob this wonderful American Palestinian woman poet this book she has called the art of disappearing there's just one line in one of her poems that I love so much and she says we're trying to remember something too important to forget. Monastery bells at midnight. That monastery bells at midnight. There's something that that evokes. And it, it touches something that we're wanting to remember. We want to wake up. And so we can start to have our life configured in a way that those things and people and places that we go evoke that. Kind of, oh yeah, that. And that uplift to a higher consciousness. So we can make choices for that. It may not be that, you know, our, our whole life is configured that way. We may not, you know, that may not be how it is for us right now. But we can still make choices to have some of that in our life. I've often thought that if my, my mother, I have an 88-year-old mother who lives in near Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and at some point, she may need my help. She may need me to spend more time there. And when I go there, I feel the density and the thickness of the consciousness there that isn't so supportive for my meditation. It feels very heavy. It just doesn't feel like there's you know, many people who are interested in this kind of spiritual journey in the area where she lives, right in the condominium, right in the area. I've often thought that if I had to stay there, I'm going to have to make a lot of choices for how to keep this going, <laughs> how to keep myself up so that I don't get really pulled down by what's actually going on there. So I would have to create situations for my meditation. I'd have to find groups that I could be with. I'll have to listen to Dharma talks. I'll have to really feed myself. Because it's, we can, get, we can get so easily get pulled into energy fields that pull us down. So it's really up to us until that doesn't happen anymore, until our, our consciousness is so awake that we can walk into any place and we're not infected. That by, we're not affected by the vibration, which is what happens when you're a fully enlightened being. Right? You're a beacon of that consciousness. But until then, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable. Those, those habits, those tendencies can be triggered. They can be pulled on. And then all of a sudden, we're kind of like lost again. You know, all of that wonderful um, uh, stability and connection that we had is just gone. And we wonder what happened. So we're vulnerable. So, so we need to keep this practice going. We need to keep, stay connected to meditation and people and groups and teachings and teachers and poetry or nature, whatever it is that helps us keep that, that our heart and our mind and our consciousness uplifted. And that's our responsibility. We have to take charge for that so that our mind keeps inclining, keeps getting pulled into that uh, purified field. And, 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 so, and, there, and there are many places that we walk into or we, and go, wow. It's, and people feel that over here at Spirit Rock. You know, it's a purified field. And the, everything here, and it's, it's just really so inspiring when I think about it, that everything here, 
every intention here is in the service of awakening, of your awakening, of my awakening. Everything that we do, every action, every intention is to serve the awakening consciousness. And it's, this has been happening here. We built this, this got built in uh, 1997. And so how many years is that? Somebody do the math. <laughs> 14 years, right? So the 14 years that this has been here, there's this whole field is starting to be impacted by all the accumulated positive energy here. And they're doing studies now, scientific studies, bio, bio, uh, um, one of those bios, <laughs> where where they're actually t- uh, able to, um, uh, f- through through research and experimentation, find out that m- the matter, the physical matter, gets imbued with the purified energy. That the, the, because everything's energy, right? All matter is just energy. So that, that the, what looks like something solid or something that wouldn't be impacted by consciousness is still energy. It's all energy. So that, that, so that it purifies all matter. So that even the walls and the, the lamps and everything, like the, like the sculptures. I mean, that's, a, you know, that's an ancient piece of uh, carving and that's over you know hundreds of years that's been imbued by the sacred energy that's been in, in, instilled with it so it, it, ha- it emanates a quality of the sacred and so, so, so everything starts to shift not only does this matter this body and mind start to shift but everything is affected and imbued by that consciousness you can see the animals here are, they have no fear. No. Even the lizards. Even the lizards. Yeah. <laughs> the deer. I mean, you can get, you can walk so close to the deer, and they're not ch- jittery. They're not jittery because they're. We have a few generations now of deer that have come up, and so their mom's not running away. They're not going to run away, right? And so we're just. It becomes more of this harmonious community. So it's, it's everything's affected. Everything's affected. And we walk in and we feel it. It's like the energy, the vibration. It's like, you know, it used to be very new age to talk about all that. But now they're scientifically studying it and they're finding it's actually true, the shift that starts to happen. And so, so the more that we transform, the more that as we walk places, people are affected by us. Like Sansonim at the laundromat. It's like, whoa, you know, who, who are you? <laughs> or when the Buddha walked out from under the Bodhi tree and this guy came up to him and said, wow, what happened to you? You know, you're so radiant, you know. And I see that and I see that with you, you know. I see the light, you know, the changes that happen for you over the days here and the light just starts pouring out of your faces and out of your body, you know. We become the density of that, the heaviness of those, those very uh, painful patterns of mind just start lightening up. They start to release. And we feel lighter, we feel more open, and the light comes out. <laughs> it's just something, just the way it is. We become more transparent. That which was more solid and heavy and thick opens up. And we, we say one of the things that happens is there's a certain transparency. We can s- connect and see through and there's more, more meeting that's happening there. It's very beautiful what starts to happen. So we make, we make these choices um, more and more for ourselves. And it's up to us. This is, this is our responsibility to have this intention for our own awakening. This is where we start to uh, uh, turn, turn towards. What are we turning towards? What are we making important in our life? One of the things that supports this is the, the precepts, the five precepts that we took at the beginning of the retreat of, not, of taking a vow 
in our lives, not to kill any living being, and really reflecting on what this means for us. I mean, these these are actual uh, train. They're trainings and reflections. They're not commands. There's not. They're not rules. So we we reflect on and we practice not killing any living being, not taking anything that hasn't been offered to us freely, to not engage in sexual activity that is going to cause harm to ourselves or to another being, to speak the truth, to to speak wisely and with words that are going to lead to more harmony, uh, not to gossip, not to lie, uh, not to say things that are false or harsh. Um, that's a whole practice, wise speech. Um, and the fifth one, not to um, indulge in intoxicants and drugs um, that are going to cloud the mind and uh, not allow us to be awake and, and connected and mindful. So, so finding our balance with, with drugs and in, not, not balance with drugs. <laughs> Good thing I connect, corrected that. <laughs> Balance with alcohol, <laughs> not drugs, uh, because we, you know, people. There is alcohol in our society; it's part of our culture. But so we have to find our own way with that. Some of us have to abstain. Some of us can drink with more moderation. So for all of us have to really reflect on what's, how does that work for us, so that we keep our mind balanced and awake. I'm going to hand out. Um, when we break um, uh, these sheets that I that are on the five precepts, which I really like because there's just they're just the way that each one is described, I thought was so good for our reflection. And then there's a, a it's from Thich Nhat Hanh and from Jack Cornfield. So it's for you to have that for a part of your practice and your training. And then it's just opening up to all the resources we have. You know, now we have the web the World Wide Web, which is phenomenal. It's just phenomenal what's on there. And some of you have local sanghas that you can be part of, but some of you don't. And so then it's in some ways creating a virtual sangha. The virtual sangha is online. (laughs) And there's so much available there now. Um, one of the, the resources that I want to let you know about is this, uh, the community down here in the southern peninsula called the Insight Meditation Center, IMC, run by Gil Fronsdale. And if his, he has such a fabulous website. And the website has a lot of resources on it for you to connect to other uh, links classes and, and, and online classes and readings and all kinds of things. I think it's just uh, really fabulous. Uh, IMC is really all you need to remember. And, um, uh, uh, and then there's the uh, Barry Center for Buddhist Studies, which is in Massachusetts. I'm mention- mentioning that because on there, there's actually a link to a study guide that I put together called Pressing Out Pure Honey. And it's a study guide for one of the Buddhist texts of uh, the Majjhima And so it's kind of the uh, cliff notes. If you know about the, those of you who had cliff notes, you know the short guide to the commentaries. So with practices for each commentary. So uh, with each, from each discourse. So you can, you can check that out. Uh, BCBS, Berry Center for Buddhist Studies. But it's getting more into the, the more technical or more scholarly uh, uh, teachings of the Buddha. But, it's, but I'm tr- I tried to make them as practical as I could. And then there's, of course, Dharma Seed. You all need to know about Dharma Seed if you don't already. It's the archive for all of the teachers' Dharma talks within our tradition. There is about... Uh, probably 60 teachers, 70 teachers now that this uh, Dharma Seed supports our talks. And you just go and go on and you click on teacher and you could just see the list of teachers and listen to any of the Dharma talks that they've given. And the amazing thing is, is that these talks are uploaded the same day they're given. They're that current. So within the centers, this center, Insight Meditation Society, uh, mostly these, those two centers, the in, in, IMS is on the East Coast. 
you can hear the Dharma talk that was given that, that, that day, <laughs> that night, the next day. So, so it's, you know, it's really an amazing resource. You can download it or you can stream it or, you know, so wonderful, wonderful resource for us there. Some people were asking about the metta. Uh, you can get guided meditations on there. Uh, Sharon Salzberg is really the wonderful resource for the loving-kindness meditations. And apparently in her new book, somebody told me, In Real Happiness, there's a CD, somebody told me, and there's the, the meditation that I gave is on that CD of the benefactors, the meditation with benefactors. So, um, you know, check, check, this, check it out so much. There's so much to say, <laughs> but there's so little time. Um, I put my book list on the table over there, so if you didn't get a book list, it's up here now. Um, uh, so be sure to get one. I asked, had asterisks for the books that I felt were important books to start with. And I'll just say that Seeking, out, uh, seeking the Heart of Wisdom is probably one of the very best books to start with, um, both the um, Buddhism and the practice, together with Joseph Goldstein and Jack Kornfield. So maybe I'll stop there just for a minute, because there's, you know, there's so much, so many pieces, but I'm just wondering if there's any questions that just on the kind of want to come out at the moment. Thank you. Thank you. The East Bay Meditation Center. And also, if you please do pick up the Inquiring Mind, which is the down there, it's a green, big newspaper kind of newsletter. And that in the back of there, they have every sitting group and center in the world. In the world. So anywhere you're going in the world, you can just look and see, oh, is there a sitting group? And you can go and join it and sit with them. So, so look, in, look at that for a resource for your area if you're fairly new and you're not local. Um, or even if you are local, you'll see what's happening locally. Um, that's the very best, best resource for all the, all the sitting groups and retreats that are happening in our tradition. Yeah. Um, could you say a few words about, like, if you're going home not to an empty house, but family? And um, coming off of retreat, I often find that my nervous system mm-hmm. is extremely sensitive. Yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the things I wanted to say was that you are very sensitive and you've already got a chance to find that out when you started talking. So you see, yeah, your nervous system, that, that's the energy, right? The, this, and, and you've been very quiet, you've been very protected, you haven't had to do anything except, you know, wash yourself or a couple of little jobs or, you know, you really have been able to completely relax and now you're going back into the world of our culture. And so you will feel the sensitivity. And I like to, sit, tell, to tell people that you, you, there's kind of a mirror reflection on a retreat. Like the, as many days of, as you've been in a retreat will be about the number of days it will take you to feel sort of back to normal again. So if you, since we've been in retreat for about five days, it's going to take about five days or a week before your moods and your rhythm starts to normalize again. And hopefully, when I say normalize, it doesn't mean going back. <laughs> I mean balance. <laughs> so, so what that means is that you will likely feel uh, both energetic shifts, where you'll feel very, very kind of excited and high, and you, you know, you want to, you know, like, 
maybe talk to everybody and see everybody, or somehow that energy will want to be, be expressed. And then there'll be crashing kinds of energy where you just be exhausted and tired, and you just don't want to talk to anybody and sleep. So, so kind of just let your, let your body and your mind go with those energies. Don't fight them. Don't think that you should be different or feel different. Just kind of let, let, the, let, you, let yourself go with those swings and take care of yourself. And that may mean that you remove yourself from the dynamic, the family dynamic. Really saying, I've just been on retreat. I'm just feeling a little overloaded right now. This is a bit much for me. I'm just going to go into the other room and just be quiet for a little bit. And really taking the time to state your needs and, and doing what you need to do for yourself as you, as you modulate and regulate back your nervous system gets used to the activity and the and the I need you I want you you know from the children <laughs> where have you been how come you've been away for so long <laughs> so so really having to set set very clear boundaries and being watchful that that when the energy gets high that it doesn't get too discharged in things that are just making us spin you know, we don't want to go to a, a rave dance tonight or a rave, <laughs> rave party tonight. You know, that's not going to be the best thing. <laughs> you know, so so yeah, so taking care of yourself in that way. Mm-hmm. Baths, you know, all the those things I was talking about, like moving, uh, inclining your mind towards that, which is really going to be supportive for you. <laughs> sort of like, you know, we're going to encounter, we've been so mindful all together without ever having to talk about mm-hmm. it. And we're going to go back to work mm-hmm. and have, you know, being with the unmindfulness <laughs> of our non retreat <laughs> And then what to do about that? Is that what? What's the underlying question? How to get them to be more mindful? No, I know that's not what you're asking. <laughs> So this is the whole area around why speech, right? How to, how to communicate, how to negotiate, how to live with another person in a way that brings more harmony than, um, than conflict. So it's a huge practice. It's a huge practice. And so, you know, just one of the basic guidelines is to, to recognize that um, it's I am being impacted. It's me. It's they're not... That's, they're not having the problem. <laughs> I'm having the problem, right? So, so then I need to work with my problem. So and rather than making it theirs, because that's what we want to do. It's like, well, you're doing this. It's your problem. If you would change, I would be fine, you know? But actually, it's not like that. So I, I have to recognize again and again that I'm the one that's having the issue. So how am I going to resolve my issue? And, and so I want to do that in a way that is taking care of myself in a kind way, but also seeing if I can negotiate to get what I want. Usually if I can do that in a way that they can hear me, they can listen to me, I'm not speaking in a harsh way, I'm not blaming, I'm not being judgmental, but I'm saying, I'm having this difficulty, and this is really impacting me in this way, and I'm wondering if we can talk together and maybe bring about some some changes that are going to be agreeable to both of us, right? 
So, so, finding, so finding, so we're not dumping, we're not blaming, we're not judging, making them wrong, but we're trying to find a way for ourselves to feel more, more at ease, more connected, more balanced. So, so that's, a, that's a key thing, because as soon as we make it the other person's problem, we're, we're, it's not going to work. We're having, I'm having the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the bottom line. That's we're always doing. Our, that's it. We're always doing our own practice, however that practice may be manifesting in any moment. But is a good question. Is a, uh, one of my colleagues and uh, teachers, Stephen Batchelor, he calls. Uh, he says we could ask ourselves the question at any time: What is the most loving thing to do in this situation? What's the most kind and loving things I can do in this situation? And he calls that situational ethics. So there's no right and there's no wrong. It's not, it needs, needs to be one way. And this is globally. This is like socially and politically. There's no right and wrong, but we're responding, asking what is the kindest and most loving thing that I can do right now in this situation? So that we're really connecting with the heart staying connected with the heart in our speech and our actions. Maybe, maybe one more uh, question. If there, I know there might be a lot in the room. You've asked good questions. Can I have Yeah, you can have the chant sheets if you like. Um, what I'd like us to do, so you can have a little break also... Is um, we're going to we're going to sit in a, a circle now, and um, maybe and let's let's kind of make it as tight of a circle as we can. So we, I think we will keep our cushions and our, our mats um, just so we can be comfortable. But let's kind of you can take a break if you need to go to the bathroom and kind of we'll start configuring into more of a circle here.